I consider myself to be fairly tech savvy, and uh, I'm quite proud of the fact that I know my way around a computer and cell phones and a lot of programs and stuff. And so, um, before I carry on, I just want to say it's good to be here with you, but uh, I want to thank my mom uh, for coming. She lives with us, and I also want to thank my wife for coming. It's nice to have the support, and uh, just appreciate uh, uh, the fact that my mother still loves me, and so does my wife. But um, so I want to just uh, commend you as well. It's pretty, uh, pretty great that you've got this thing going on here in Lake Arock. And uh, uh, it's pretty powerful to have a, a witness for God out here. And like I was saying, I consider myself to be tech savvy. And, um, you know, the moment I mention Facebook, some of you will snicker and you go, well, that's just really for old people anyhow. So, um, but uh, my... Uh, Facebook has come out with a new app, and part of it is that it's, it's called the Aging App. And in the Aging App, you can submit a picture of yourself, and it will think for a little bit, and it'll provide an aged photo of yourself. And so my son actually did this. He was out visiting last week, uh, and he did this. And uh, we got a picture of my son up there. You're never going to believe that I have a son that's this old. So he's much younger man than that, but it just sort of ages you. I should have had the before picture so you could compare, but uh, he's, he's 26. And uh, so I thought it was pretty, you know, it's kind of interesting. So uh, I thought I would, you know, play around with it a little bit myself. And I thought, you know, what, a, what would I look like when I'm the same age as he is? <laughs> and look what it gave me back. So uh, I'm just... Just teasing, kind of, kind of a cheeky app there, right? Um, so I thought that's cool, and I wondered uh, what I would look like in 30 years from now, or 20 years from now, or 10 years from now. And so um, what I want to talk to you about tonight is I want to talk to you about stress-free living. You know, in our text this evening, we get the benefit of reading a letter that Paul wrote to his friends. Uh, at the gathering of believers in the city of Philippi about 2,000 years ago. And hindsight is 2020, and here we can eavesdrop on them from there. So picking it up in chapter 4 of Philippians, uh, starting at verse 2, it says, I plead with Judea, and I plead with, I'm going to call it, I'm going to say it, Sintiki, uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of those often quoted uh, sections of the Bible that's misunderstood because it's quoted so often. And on the surface, when not explained or thought through, it can lead us to the idea that believers are not to feel stress. Uh, you know, be anxious for nothing. So we think that being anxious 
you know, anytime we feel stressed that it's something that we shouldn't do. And so we have this idea that the Christian life should be just, just one blissful, gleeful state. And when troubles come along, stressful times come along, we tend to hide a little bit because we think that it's sort of wrong for us to be going through stress. We don't have troubles and you get to some points where uh, people think that everything is happy, everything is well, uh, blissful, veneer on the outside. Jesus is for us, so who can be against us? And what it creates in the church is sometimes this, this kind of like on Facebook, where everybody looks good. You know, people put their breath forward and you never really know what's going on underneath the surface. But when we go through stressful times, we feel bad. In fact, because we're going through stressful times, sometimes when you go to church, you feel bad even worse because you feel like this is something I shouldn't be feeling, that if I was a better Christian or a better person, I wouldn't be having the stress that I'm going through. And so we add the stress to the stress that we had before, and we think that we're bad examples of Christianity. But the truth is that life doesn't unfold that way. If we look closer, uh, Judea and Syntyche, and to some degree, Clement, they were all fellow workers with Paul, and these were obviously women that were important to Paul, so Paul wanted to help. They were having some sort of conflict. We're not told the specifics of the disagreement, but it was enough to come to Paul's attention. Now, Paul doesn't say you should never disagree in his letter, uh, or you shouldn't have conflict. But what Paul does say is, your names are in the book of life. Rejoice, or rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So in effect, what Paul is saying is stop looking at the problem only. Step back and take a look at the big picture. And the big picture is when we go through conflict, we need to remind ourselves that in reality, whatever conflict we're going through, our names are in the book of life and that our future is written uh, with God. Conflict is always going to happen. It's not wrong to have it. In fact, I heard a quote a while back that says, uh, the absence of stress is death. Death is that time where there's no stress. So if you're gonna live in this world, you're going to face stress. You're going to have times. And often the more things that you try to accomplish in life, you're gonna have more and more stress. Conflict is part of life. However, it's not that having conflict is the problem, but it's what we do with our conflict that matters. In light of eternity, uh, there's not many current things that matter because our names are in the book. Now, the answer is not to avoid all conflict, but learning how to caringly deal with our conflicts when they happen. You know, I can't think of uh, more stressful situations than those that happen within the world of relationships. Some, some conflicts don't go away on their own. Some people don't have the skills necessary to deal with the conflict in a good way. Sometimes we need others to gently step in and help, it, uh, help the conflict get resolved. And that's what we see here with Paul. He steps in and brings up the conflict. Think about it, he brings up this conflict that's in a letter to the church and he exposes it before everybody. That's what we see Paul doing. He points it out. 
you know, there's an illustration and it's an expression, really. It's called the elephant in the room. And if you think about it, this expression is somewhat, you know, obvious. If there was an elephant in here and we didn't talk about it, it would be really strange, wouldn't it? Because elephants are huge. And the obvious thing is the biggest thing in the room is what should gather your attention. And so what Paul was dealing with, there was an elephant in the room in the Philippian church. Now, sometimes we just need someone like Paul to point it out and say, and bring it up uh, and lovingly point to the book of life as a starting point. In light of eternity, how big is the problem really? So I played around with the Facebook app with myself a little bit more and uh, that's me in a few years. And uh, I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty, uh, I'm a hot, sexy grandpa. <laughs> I thought, you know, that's, it's interesting. You know, you just sort of look at yourself in a few years. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, But when we look forward, we don't always know what's going to go on. And so it's hard for us to view things with a big world picture. Um, but the question for me is, what would the older me have to say to me today? If I was to be that age and look at my life today, what would I have to say for advice? What sort of things would I bring up? It's easy to see God at work in our lives as we look back. For me, I can clearly see how God has been at work in my life during uh, the times that I've been under lots of stress as I look back. Problem is, is it's easy to see it now, but when we're in the middle of it, it's the most difficult thing to see the big picture. We're in the heat of things. I don't see my successes when I look back. What I do see is how God has taken me through my troubles. And it was interesting that that song that we sang today, and it mentioned our trophies. And uh, of course, I always think of the old rugged cross when at last my trophies, or my trophies I lay down. And you know, our trophies are really those things that we fought really hard and we earned something in. And my trophies, when I look back, are all of the troubles that I've been through, that I've seen the hand of God at work in my life. And there's a beauty to that. And those are the things that I remember. My wife and I share an awful lot of experiences together. And um, when we look back, the things that we remember is how God was faithful to us during those hard times. Those are the things that we cherish now. The other things, they just drift, you know, they're, they're not as important to us, but... Now, Paul makes a statement here, and I want to focus on it. He says, be anxious for nothing. Or said in a different way, don't be anxious. So I thought you just said stress was a part of life. It's normal. And now you're telling me don't be anxious. Well, there's a distinction is this. It's normal for everyone, believers included, to face stress but for the believer, being anxious is a sign that something isn't right. So anxiety is that step beyond stress. It's what happens when there's a buildup of stress in your life and you don't know what to do with things, but you think that everything depends on you to solve it. And that's what brings anxiety. Anxiety is what happens when we don't have a healthy plan to handle our stress. Paul said, or someone said, and I thought this was very appropriate, that anxiety 
is the same as practical atheism. I'll say that again. Anxiety is the same as practical atheism. It's acting as if you were in charge of solving things and acting as if there was no God to go to in our time of stress. You see, believers have this great opportunity to take our troubles and lay them down and trust that someone else will see us through and get us to better days. And that's what we do as believers. That's what we're charged with. To do anything other than that is anxiety. And anxiety, when it builds up in our hearts, it causes depression and things get worse from there. But we're told by Paul, don't be anxious. Don't allow your stress to take you to the point of buildup where you get anxious about things and there's nothing that you just feel overwhelmed. The Christian is someone who's got the opportunity to go to God with things. You know, the person in the, uh, in the world that doesn't pray, doesn't have a hope that we have, they just have to carry all of their burdens. Many times they need to drink them away. They need to find some way to uh, solve that stress. But what we do with our stress is what defines us as children of God. We go to God with our troubles and we lay our burdens down. It's kind of like a cycle. It's like lifting weights. You know, we, if, you, if you think about the, when you're lifting weights, you know, you, you face the stress, you get through it, and then you come back down. And you go back through it. And in the process of lifting weights, your muscles get stronger. You become a bigger person. You become more able to handle things that you weren't able to handle before. And there's a cycle to it all. Well, the same is with stress in our lives. Paul's point is don't let your stress turn into anxiety. What you and I are privileged to do as believers is carry our, our problems to the, uh, to the cross and to God. There is a God in heaven that cares for us. And Paul is saying, act like it. Act like you believe it and go to him. He's our answer. Now, I want to make another point. Paul focuses us on not being anxious, but then he says, go to God with thanksgiving. It's something that we gloss over a lot. We don't always see that. He says, be thankful during your times. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and petition, make your request, prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Thanking God during our troubles is the key to finding God's power and peace. You know, when we learn to thank God during our trouble, it's like forcing ourselves to have a conversation with our future self. I can thank God for my trophies from the past, but now uh, that is hard to do. But it's very necessary to thank God for the troubles that we're going through today. It's kind of the key to us getting through them is to point to God is doing something in me through this. And if we can get to that point, we're going to find a lot of success and we're going to get stronger. I want to talk about the stress that comes from, uh, when we think about our bodies. You know, our bodies, it says, are temples of the Holy Spirit, but we live in them. And people can face an awful lot of stress when uh, they face ailments, when Tough times come. I want to talk about another elephant in the room. Why doesn't God heal everyone? 
He has the ability. Does he love some more than others? Is there some problem, habit, or sin that is holding back the hand of God? Well, I'm going to suggest to you, it's never wise to ask the why questions in life. Because why questions really don't get us any real answers. The real answer is we don't know why. There's some things that are way past us. We can't comprehend God's purposes sometimes. But what we can ask is the what questions. What is going on? The answer to that question is much more satisfying. When we do ask that question, what Paul says to do here, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, there are really only three answers that come our way. And trust me, this is the one, one of the most stressful things for believers to have, is to have an ailment that they've prayed about over and over and over again, and it doesn't go away. The answers are only three. You might have a yes, and you might have a miraculous uh, uh, miracle happen. The answer might be not yet. Or the answer might also be, my grace is enough for you. It's enough. Don't be anxious about it. My grace is going to be enough for you. About four and a half years ago, Wendy, my wife, was at a trade show. She had a tingling in her legs and sensitivity in her eyes and an overall lethargy took over. And over the course of the weekend, she got worse and worse and ended up in the hospital. And over the next uh, two days in the hospital, she was uh, in a coma. And she stayed in a coma for about 48 hours. She had something called bacterial meningitis. And as I looked it up, uh, it's the worst kind. You know, you can have a, a, a viral, but she had the bacterial kind. And I had a chance to look up what, what are the results of what's going to happen to her. And I tell you, that was very difficult to look at. I couldn't understand it. I didn't know why. She had this uh, debilitating uh, uh, medical problem. And each night I left the hospital knowing that she might not make it. Or if she did make it, she could lose limbs or all kinds of other terrible outcomes. And the stress of it all was more than I could bear. But each day, I had great people come in and visit, and great people come and pray. And each time we prayed, we took it to God and laid them down. Yes, this is the truth of what could happen, but we actively laid it down, and we thank God that there was an answer. Whether she made it or not, we were going through the process of thanking God and, and uh, consciously bringing him our troubles. Then, when she was out of the coma, uh, she was still paralyzed from the neck down. Didn't know what was going to happen. We kept praying, and we faced the very real possibility that she'd never walk again. We kept praying, and in about two weeks, the doctors were booking her. We had some hope that she might get some activity, and uh, so they were booking her to go to GF Strong uh, Rehab Hospital in Surrey, and she was booked in for a minimum of three months. And I thought, well, okay, we've got some activity. This is the path we're on. We don't know where we're going to go or, uh, with it. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and then Wendy told the doctor after she got the news, she says, my husband won't let this happen. You don't know my husband. And I wasn't at the hospital at the time. So when I came in, the doctors had this really worried look in their eye, like they were going to deal with some stubborn guy that wasn't going to accept reality. 
And so in what happened, I sat down with the doctor and he explained everything to me, what they were going to do. And uh, I had to explain to the doctor, no, this is not me. This is my wife saying this to you that I, I'm really not like this. So I agreed to talk to Wendy that I was going to help her see that she needed to go. Anyways, we kept praying. And over the weekend, uh, we had some incredible change happen. Miraculous change. Can't explain it change. And by the time the doctors came in Monday morning, we had seen so much change that they canceled her appointment to go see uh, the, the rehab center. Um, there was no walking yet, but we had movement. Another 10 days, she was released from hospital with a walker. It's a very long story. I'll let her tell it one day. But she had, during her time in a coma, she had a near-death experience. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but uh, you can ask her about it. It's a tremendous story. She had something very beautiful happen in it, and if you talk to her today, you'll find out that she would never trade it for anything. What she went through was so beautiful that she, it's one of her trophies. But it was one of the hardest times we'd ever been through as a couple and as uh, she had ever gone through in her life individually. I want to bring up another uh, very important person in my, my life. It's my mother. She's suffered with Parkinson's disease now for over 20 years. We've prayed many times, but God's answer so far seems to be to pull her close to himself. And the questions come up, the stress, the anxiety at times. Why doesn't God heal me? Why doesn't God do for me? And uh, it's very tempting to carry that and to allow it to crush. But practically, we go back each time and we see what God's got for her. And over the years, we've all seen a strength and a depth of character and peace that can only come from the times that she spends with God as a result of this ailment. And it's an uncomfortable ailment. It's an uncomfortable thing for, for everyone uh, to watch, but she struggles with it, and we see God in it. And that's a strange thing to see. How can you thank God for something that's so hard? Well, there's a beauty to going through some hard things, a beauty that not everybody understands. It's hard to understand these things. We don't know what the outcome will be when we pray. What we get is a peace that will guard our hearts that people will say, where does that come from? Where does that peace come from? You should be a lot more troubled than you are. When we must endure something for a season or for our lives forever, we are given a great gift. We're given his presence. We're given his peace. We're given his grace and his care. If you want to look at it this way, it's you get special cuddle time with God. He doesn't, he's not saying, I don't care for you as much. He's saying, come and see how great I am during your struggle. You know, one of my favorite Christmas movies is called It's a Wonderful Life. It's an old movie. Jimmy Stewart. I don't know, anybody watch that movie? It's beautiful. Tradition in our house. We love it. Um, but if you watch the story, you see that he goes through some incredible times. Times that bring him to the brink of despairing life itself. And it's during that time that he gets a tremendous opportunity to see his life in a different way. And he has a visitation from heaven, 
and the visitation from heaven, Clarence gets to show him his impact on the rest of the people in his world. And the end of the story is that he gets this beautiful experience of knowing what his life means to other people and how many other real friends that he has in his, in his life. And that was all because of the tough time. The tough time that would normally lead someone to despair actually did lead him to despair. But on the other side of that, he got to it and it was through his communication with God uh, that he was able to see the, other, or see the benefit of it all. You know, Paul, the apostle that we rely on so much for all of the information in the New Testament, he spent three years after his conversion in the desert, lucky him, and it prepared him for greatness. No, 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 no. It prepared him for prison. We don't always realize that Paul is writing most of his letters from prison. Why didn't God? He'd already been, you know, some of the other disciples had broken out of prison. I mean, the prison walls came down. Why didn't it happen for Paul? It was during his time in prison that God met him, showed him, taught him, and gave him a message for the rest of the world that the impact of which is so strong that we rely on just about everything in the New Testament from Paul's writings to teach us about church and life and, and God and how we should, uh, how we should operate. You wouldn't know it by his attitude and the peace that he had through it. I mean, he's the one that's in prison and he's telling these people, I want you to get along. I want you to remember your names are written in the book of life. And I want you to just experience the joy of going to God with your problems and seeing the peace that he gives you through it. He was in dire circumstances, but he was the main comforter and teacher in the church for centuries. I don't know that he knew this when this was happening. But he learned to be thankful and he chose to see the big picture. In effect, he is like this really, really old man. This 2,000-year-old man that we got to listen or read his letters and we get to see what he's got to say to us. He's teaching us what's really important. You know, we are in farming area, farming communities. And uh, I love farmers. I think God is a farmer. Son is a carpenter, but God is really a farmer. The way he operates, you can see his program, his systems all of the time. And it's interesting with farmers, they don't want sun all of the time. It's a bad thing if a farmer has sun all of the time. They look forward to the rain as much as the sun. In fact, you know, healthy farming communities have got all four seasons. And in our life, we need all four seasons in order to fully produce a crop. If this farmer only had sunshine, there would be no crop. And we are the crop that God is producing. And sometimes in life, even though we don't know the whys of it, during our hard times, that's when God is pouring rain into our soul and it's producing something that he's gonna harvest. And he's, we're gonna see one day the great, uh, uh, well, the harvest of it all, we're gonna see it. The farmer is thankful for all seasons. So I'm going to conclude by saying a few things. Stress is a part of life. Paul is saying, don't allow your relationship stress to go unchecked. Sometimes we need help to solve things. Gracious help. When we get that help, just remember the big picture. 
our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're going to heaven, folks. This world is not our home. I want, I want to just step aside for a moment. How many people on the planet right now? They say about seven billion. How many people have existed since time began? How many people have come through? It's obvious to me this world is not our home. It's what happens, it's who we become while we're here. It's kind of like children in the womb. You know, eventually they outgrow it. Something's happening with us in this world, we're gonna outgrow it and one day we're gonna see what we were meant to be. Secondly, don't allow our stress to turn into anxiety. God is a very present help in times of trouble. We can go to him with friends. That's one of the great reasons not to uh, pretend that you've got it all together when you come to church. We're to be a community that doesn't have it all together, but we've got people that will help us lay our burdens down. And that's why we go. We don't have to be a perfect example of how to deal with everything, because none of us are. We have a group of friends that helps us take our problems to God. Thirdly, let's be a community that doesn't ignore others when they're going through troubles. Be a support, pray with them together. And fourthly, allow the peace of God to flow in our lives as we lay our burdens down to him. We don't live for this world. I think my future would self would tell me this. Learn to take your stress to God in prayer. Don't carry my own troubles like I can solve them myself and realize that my trophies in this world are those struggles that we're going through right now and learn to be thankful because it's those trophies one day that aren't even going to matter. But what's going to matter is where we go. God's got a plan for us all. He's got peace for you in the time of trouble. If you're going through some things right now, I can tell you right now, my wife and I are. We ha I won't go through it, some people know, but uh, we have incredible family stress. Incredible family stress. And uh, it's for some reasons, but uh, you know, it, we're just going through that time. And daily, we have to go through the cycle of trying to you know, make sense of it all and then Go back to God. And I know that one day we're going to look back and go, wow, can you believe it? God saw us through that one too. That was so beautiful. And yet while you're going through it, so hard. But I wouldn't trade it for the world now that I see it from behind or, or see it from the, in the rear view mirror. That's what's going to happen with this one too. I know it. We can by faith believe it. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Please, let's pray. I wonder if you could join hands right across the aisle. I don't know if you uh, feel comfortable with that. If you don't feel comfortable with that, don't do it. But uh, it really would be nice to feel, feel like a family. There we are. Jesus. When you collected disciples and you prepared them to teach the world, you showed everything about yourself. And they felt family with you. They all struggled. They had trials and troubles and 
They had things that they needed to learn, things they didn't know yet. But they learned to trust you. As a community of believers, we ask you to fill our hearts with that hope that passes understanding, that peace, where we don't know where it came from. And uh, we, we ask you to take our problems as we release them to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.